0: We've been speaking for a number of weeks on the series Ladies and Gentlemen. We did Ladies first. We talked about women that profess godliness, and we spoke about making room for the prophet in our lives, not just in the sisters' lives, but in our lives in general. And now we've moved over into speaking about the gentlemen, about the men, about godly men, godly young men, and how to become one. And there's no better place to start on this. We left off last time, and there's no better place to start in looking at men in the Scripture than the first man. And you know, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I've looked at something so many times, I go to it expecting the same old, same old. That's just my nature. And without exception, it seems that the Lord just completely slays me whenever I approach it that way because I always see something. I don't mean anything new in terms of coming up with something new, but studying it again and just seeing some aspect of it that is just glorious. So I had one of those moments I've shared with you before. There's sometimes when I'll be studying the word of God, there's moments whenever it just slays me and I just have to pause. And a lot of times tears roll down my cheeks and that happened. I don't have any clue if I can convey that to y'all, and I don't even know that it's totally on the topic that I have, but pray for me that the Lord will bless us as we look at this age-old, time-worn, historical, factual account of the first man and the first woman, and maybe we can learn something about what it means to be a godly man. The title of the message is Created to Lead, Created to Lead, because that's how Adam was created. That's not me taking my series and imposing my thoughts upon you know, what the first man's role was. It's just going to be straight from the Scripture. And you can see clearly for yourself that God created Adam to lead. Amen. And He equipped him <laughs> in some glorious ways. And of course, as you know, I'll go ahead and give you the end of the story. The end of the book, of course, is He blew it. <laughs> you know, He completely botched it. <laughs> and we're in the mess that we're in today because of the first man not fulfilling his role that he was created in, created to lead. Genesis 1 and 26, we jump into the sixth day. This is the sixth day of creation. These are literal days. They are not time periods in like thousands or millions of years. These are literal days because our God is powerful enough and capable enough to do what's described here. And on the sixth day, sometime later in the day, after some other things were created, we read that God said, verse 26, let us, notice the plural, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Now watch this. You say, well, was he created to lead? The question is answered in this verse, in the very creation of man. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You see, in the very initiation of the creation of man, you see that man was created to lead. Now, it's also interesting to notice that it says, male and female created he them. We could go off on a, what we call a rabbit trail of social commentary, couldn't we? There's only two sexes. There's only male and female. There's no transitionals between male and female. We're not going to let that distract us this morning, although it's very tempting. (laughs) Male and female were created by God, and they were given a charge. Adam was given the initial charge, but notice it's to both. To lead, created to lead. Now let's look at some of the definitions of these words in verse 26. It says, let us make... The word make means to fashion or to form. God is the maker. God is the creator, you see. And he made man in our image. Notice ours is the reference to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The phrase in our image, the Hebrew word means to shade or a phantom, or an illusion, a resemblance, a representation, or a figure. Now, this is very interesting because elsewhere, aside from creation of man, this image, this word image, is associated with an idol, okay? The only place that it's really seen in a good light is here in the creation of man. Elsewhere throughout the Old Testament, it has to do with image worship or idol worship, okay? Also, in Genesis 5 and 3, it speaks of Adam having a son named Seth in his own image. So you could tell that Seth was the son of Adam because he looked like Adam. A lot of folks through the years have said, well, I can tell that Asher McCool is Tim McCool's son because he, is, he resembles me. God help him. <laughs> but he looks like me. So you see, the, the, you see how the digression went? God created Adam in the image of God. The resemblance of God. And then when Adam fell in the garden and sin came into the world, Adam and Eve have a son named Seth. And Seth is in the image of Adam. And child of God, let me tell you, to this day, you are a descendant of Adam and you are in the image of Adam. Not just from a natural standpoint, but also from a spiritual standpoint. Without the intervention of God, You and I, we are dead in sins because we bear the likeness and image of Adam. That's why we can't believe that we came from monkeys. (laughs) You understand that the evolution theory has so little to do with millions and billions and trillions of years or whatever it is up to now. It has more to do with getting around the fall of Adam in the garden where all of mankind is judged. You see? That's what it really has to do with. It's an attack on God's judgment. (laughs) Because if you can get around Adam and say, I came from a monkey or a fish, then you you get around the judgment of God. I don't really come from Adam. You see, it's an attack on God. Don't ever forget that. We all come from Adam. Adam had a son in his own likeness. Now, most of the occurrences that I said a moment ago, most of the occurrences relate to idols or image worship. And aside from the creation, it has to do with idols. There's even one of the Ten Commandments that says, you know, Thou shalt have no other gods before you, no other images, no other idol. The Lord commands again and again in the Scripture, don't try to fashion something out of gold or wood or silver. Don't try to fashion anything to worship me because you can't come up with a likeness in, in stone or wood or anything else that can portray the glory of God. You can't do it. The closest that you can come to seeing the glory of God is that which was created in the image of God, and that is what? It's man. <laughs> you see that? Now, it's interesting to me, a little twist here, that we have reached a point in our society where you don't really see these images, and you don't really see idols on people's... I mean, you, know, you, could, you could arguably, arguably say you know things like this are definitely idols, but in terms of fashioning idols that look like animals or people. We're living in an age when man worships man as God. Humanism. You know, man is the ultimate end. Man is the ultimate idol. You see? That's the age that we're living in. But you see, God created Adam. I love the word phantom. (laughs) Adam was like a phantom of God or a distant shadow of God. It says in verse 26 that he was created after God our likeness. If you look over in the second chapter, it will be turning there in just a moment, but you'll see in verse seven, that it says that he formed him as a potter would press and shape a vessel into a mold. That's what it means. It says he was formed out in this is Genesis two and seven out of the dust of the ground. The word dust means mud or clay or earth. And I like this rubbish (laughs) that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? We were just formed. man was formed out of rubbish. God was able to take the off-scouring of the earth that He created, just the dirt, the rubbish, and He puts it together and He creates the most glorious of all of His creations, which is man. Man is the most glorious because man was made not just a breathing animal, but a living soul. You see? He says, let us create man after our likeness, out of the dust of the ground, it says in Genesis 2 and 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I love to envision this in my mind. And I think about how the Lord, the triune God, just gathered around a pile of dirt and he just made it a, a mud pie. That's basically what he did, guys. I don't know this for sure, but I could just see the Lord, you know, spitting in the ground and kind of turn it into something that could be molded like a potter. You know how the the material of the potter, the clay is wet, you know, and he makes it and he shapes it. And he says, let's, let's just make this. I, you think maybe Jesus was standing over there behind the sun and cast the shadow down on the ground of man? I don't know, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? He cast the shadow down a man and God the Father just goes over there and takes His finger and just traces out the shadow of the Son of God. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And then He's got that shape there. That's good. That's a good likeness. That's a good likeness of us, the Lord says. And it's just laying there. Internal organs not functioning yet. No breath in the lungs. It's just a body laying there. And the Lord Lord lays His face down upon the face of man and breathes life into the first man. I tell you, child of God, we are gloriously created. The idea of a theory of evolution that you you descend from a monkey over millions and billions of years came from a fish, you know, from goo to zoo to you. That is nonsense. You are gloriously created. In the image of God, Adam was created. And man took the first breath of life because God shared breath with him and gave him life. And he's animated. He becomes alive. He was formed as a potter presses and shapes a vessel into a mold of the dust of the ground. And the Lord said, you are created to lead. Man was created to lead. He says, let man, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, the earth, every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. You see how this ties into what a godly man is? Man was created to lead. And man, like Adam, has abused what he was created for. That's why you see so much trouble and all of the mess around. And it's been that way for centuries. It may be worse now. (laughs) And it may be lost in antiquity in terms of what a man was created to do. But notice he says you're to have dominion. Now, dominion, the word means to tread down, to subjugate, to prevail, to reign, or to rule. You see man is the highest level of creation man and woman is the highest level of creation that God has has made it's not an elephant you know it's not the dinosaurs that God created on that fifth and sixth day it's not those things it's man who is the image of God, you see? And, and in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul talks about how man has perverted worshiping God into something along the lines of evolution. You know, four-footed beasts and animals and stuff. Thinking that that's the glory of God. I tell you, man is the glory of God. Because you were created in the image of God through the first man, Adam. To have dominion, to lead the earth. <laughs> and I tell you, the way God set things up with no sin in the world... It was easy for Adam to lead. Easy to lead. It's a little bit harder for men to lead this day and time with feminism and chauvinism and effeminacy and all the different things that are out there. It's a little harder for men to lead. But he was created to lead, to have dominion. Now listen, the Lord says here, there's a shift after the flood. Here he says the man is to have dominion. And literally it means that Adam had control because there was no sin so he could call upon an animal and just say come here (laughs) y'all ever tried to train a dog or something you know you have to train that dog to obey you have to make it come here (laughs) but I believe that in this dominion creation here that Adam could just say hey come over here you know you say, well how did he get along with the dinosaurs I think it was very easy because there were no meat eaters back in those days there was no bloodshed yet Okay, and he could just say to the tyrannosaurus, "Come here, big boy." <laughs> when he went fishing, he could look into the water and see the fish swimming around. They wouldn't dart away from him. You ever gone to the side of the water where the fi- you could see the fish? <laughs> Several years ago, Brother Cole and myself had this idea of we were gonna we'd provide all of the fish, the catfish, for one of our meals for the get together. I mean, we had it planned out, didn't we, Brother Cole? <laughs> I mean, this guy, this client of his had all these, this huge lake, and it had these huge catfish in it. I mean, it was amazing. And they just about would come up to the side and jump out into the boat. You know, they were, they were huge. and They were fed. They were trained to come to eat, you know. And Sister Tracy's smiling at me. She knows where I'm going. So we went over there that afternoon, and we, we've got pressure on us because we've got, we've already said we're going to provide this, okay? So we get there. And Brother Cole, he's not lying. I mean, those fish are everywhere. And they're huge catfish. And we're going to have a great cookout. It's going to be awesome. Until Sister Tracy fell in the water. (laughs) And when she fell in the water, looking at those fish, we did not catch one fish, did we, Brother Cole? Maybe one. And I'm like, what? We're going to have to have Christ to come along and bless this, you know? So it was... I, when you say, well, I was thinking about the Garden of Eden whenever that happened. I was like, now if that had been in Adam and Eve's day, before sin and before, and when Dominion was in place, we could have just told those fish, "Come here," and they'd have just come to our hands. We'd picked them up and put them in. You see, it's not that way anymore. The fish flee, especially when Sister Tracy fell in. <laughs> you know, the fish flee. You see, you got to catch them. You got to wait. You got to be patient and all of that. <laughs> now, don't worry, we. Brother Cole and I, we, we forked out the money and we took care of that. We still had food, remember? We just went and bought some. <laughs> the kind that wouldn't chase away from you that was in the freezer, you know? So Adam had dominion. He was created to lead and God made it easy for him to lead. It's easy in the Garden of Eden. He says you're, you're going to have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle. That means everything that has four legs that walks around, including dinosaurs. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 2 and 19, Adam names them. You want to know why they have the names that they have today and the etymologies of the words and the, and the history of the words of where the names of the animals come from? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden because God created Adam, created man to lead. He also had dominion over every creeping thing, which would have been insects and bugs and you know things that slither around. Wasn't a snake yet, though, you know, because snake, he had legs back in those days before <laughs> what happened in the garden. And look at verse 28, God blessed them, and God said unto them, "Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it." He said, "Have dominion over the earth." And he said, "Subdue it." That means to tread down, to conquer, to bring into subjection. In, in a negative way, it could mean overpowering someone. But there was no need for Adam in this environment to overpower anything, because there was no opposition. You get that? Don't ever forget this. Adam was not created as a spiritual being. He was created as as an innocent being. There's a a huge difference. He was not created as a spiritual being. He was created innocent. And the best of the best is what Adam was. Genetically, strength-wise, looks-wise, the best of the best is what Adam was. He was innocent. Not tainted by sin. Now look at what God does for Adam in his leadership role created to lead. And I know we're getting some history here, but if you'll pray for me, we're going to tie all this in together to what men should be doing today. And in a great sense, what women should be doing today in terms of what this teaches us of the first man and the first woman. He says in verse 29, God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be meat and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have given every green herb for meat and it was so. You understand that in the original creation all of the animals all of men they were designed to be plant eaters eating the fruit the fruit and the herb of the ground. The word, don't let that word... Don't think about Adam, you know, plucking these little herbs out of your herb garden and eating. The Webster's English Dictionary defines herb as, as all grasses and also things that are used for culinary purposes. So it's talking about vegetables. It's talking about fruit that hangs on the tree. You see, listen, and listen, this doesn't mean that you leave here today and say, oh, i got to go back. I've, I've got to be a vegetarian because of what happened in the garden. You don't have to be a vegetarian because of what happened in the garden. The Lord changes the format in the years ahead. And listen, here's the sad part. Man changed the format because man began to shed blood after the fall in the Garden of Eden. See? Man changed the format. So, they were all... You say, well, how did, how did Adam escape from all those dinosaurs trying to eat him? They weren't trying to eat him. They were plant eaters. All dinosaurs were plant eaters at this point. All dogs and cats... You know, dogs weren't trying to eat cats. <laughs> cats weren't trying to eat mice. <laughs> they were eating The vegetable, they were eating the fruit. And I'm telling you, I can just envision in my mind how plenteous it was. It was not something that that was difficult to cultivate. God, the the first gift that God gives to man when he's created to lead is food. (laughs) Man needs food to survive. And he gave him the fruit and the vegetable. You see, that was a very nice thing for God to do that, wasn't it? Here's all of this world. I've given you this whole earth to the animals and to you Go eat. <laughs> that was a good thing. There was no need for bloodshed. The whole earth at that point was like a great greenhouse. You ever been into a greenhouse where it's kind of airy and it's got a, a moisture in the air and you, know, you can grow things in a greenhouse year round if you keep the temperature right and the moisture coming? The whole earth was like that. The whole earth was a greenhouse from pole to pole. It was just a great big greenhouse and things grew everywhere. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. Not only did He give him food, but He put Adam in a place where he could thrive and be the best that he could possibly be in being created to lead. He put him in Eden. God made Eden. God made the garden. And God put him there. Adam was placed there. Wasn't that nice? He didn't say, okay, pack up your things, which he didn't have any things. <laughs> you know, walk yourself over here. The Lord took him and put him there. And so this is, this is your primary place to lead right here. Start from right here. Could you imagine sometimes you feel overwhelmed? I feel overwhelmed and trying to figure out what to preach from week to week with all the issues that are going on in the world and all the issues that go on in our, our lives now, where do I start? I said that about this subject here, about ladies and gentlemen series. Where do I start? Where, do, where can you even begin in such a lost, dark time that we're living in? And can you imagine Adam? You know, this is a big world. This is a big earth. Where do I start? God says, you're going to start right here in the Garden of Eden. Isn't God good? Didn't He make it easy? He put Him there. Look at verse 15 of Genesis 2. And the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. So what in the world is Adam going to do in leading? How's he going to demonstrate his dominion? How is he going to demonstrate subduing the earth? God gives him his instruction manual. He says dress and keep it. Dress means to work. It's where we get the word farmer from. Husbandman in the Bible. But it's where we get the word farmer. You know, Adam, the first man was a farmer. And he didn't have to do a whole lot of... (laughs) Cultivating. God had cultivated the earth. God was providing everything he needed. All he had to do was just take care of what God had provided him. Is any of this ringing a bell? (laughs) Just take care of what God has provided the man. God makes it easy when we follow God's plan. Dress and to keep it. The word keep means to hedge about. To hedge about, to dress and to keep is the instruction to the first man who was created to lead. Now watch this. The Lord God commanded the man, further instruction, verse 16, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. How many times do we realize that was said first? But we often think, well, there was that negative command given by God in the garden of Eden to man. You know, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say that first, did he? God always gives you that positive. He said, look around you. Oh my goodness, you've got fruit trees you've got peaches you've got apples you've got banana trees everything that you could imagine. It would have taken years for Adam to go around eating three meals a day and taking a bite of everything that was there. He could have had a banana meal. He could have had an apple meal. He could have had an orange meal. He could have had a mixture of all those. Hey, today we've been eating bananas for a couple meals. Let's put them all together. Have a big salad together. He's got everything you can imagine. How many fruits are there in the world? How many vegetables are there? He could have just gone on. Of all the fruit you may freely eat, of all the trees, but <laughs> of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat it, of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Isn't that how we are? You know, there's some good movies out there that you can watch. Good, clean family movies. But inevitably, you know, when a new movie comes out, I think, I really want to see that. That's something new. It's something exciting. You know, it's something that's got, you know, that, that'll really be, I'm sure there'll be, you know, two or three objectionable things in there that we can hopefully maybe figure out and fast forward through. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know, we have the clear play thing with our house, and sometimes the movies don't clear play. So there was a movie that the kids wanted to watch, and I said, okay, all right, we'll watch it. It's a good movie. You know, it's got some good things to it. <laughs> I said, surely the script of this movie is online somewhere. So I looked up the script. And I was sitting there as a kid. I, I did not enjoy watching that movie because I was reading about, you know, two scenes ahead, reading the script, trying to figure out where the next curse word was going to be so I could boop, fast forward it. <laughs> you know, there's always something negative in something like that, you see? And, and we're not satisfied, you know, with the Andy Griffiths and with the old Disney, you know, family value type movies from way back. You know, we got to have something new and something that kind of tickles our fancy, Yeah, that's where our nature is. That's the way Adam was. Even in his innocency, he was that way. Can you see Adam? He looks around. Man, look at all these trees God's given. What about that one over there? Hmm. I wonder why I can't eat of that one. Well, the Lord said you're going to die the day that you eat thereof. It's poison to you. (laughs) That's our nature, isn't it? We always want what we can't have. We always want the forbidden fruit. Is that your case? Do you realize that's your case? It is your case. And you get it from your papa. And his name is Adam. <laughs> you see, all the way back. God said, you can have everything in here. Let me, let me say this. Did you know there was two trees in the garden? Okay, I mean, there was lots of trees, but there were two trees that are mentioned. One was the tree of life. Did you know that? You want to read a little bit about that tree of life, you can go to the book of Revelation. It's still around. But there was a tree of life in the garden. Don't ask me how God transplanted that tree and took it to heaven, but it's still around. It's in Revelation. There were two trees mentioned in the garden. There was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I don't read anywhere in the Word of God that the Lord forbid Adam from eating of the tree of life in his innocency. Are y'all with me? I don't read anywhere that he was forbidden from eating of the tree of life until he sinned. And then the Lord said, get him out of here. He's going to try to go back and eat that tree of life. I think he'd been eaten of the tree of life. That's just my speculation now. Don't hold that against me and I won't charge you anything extra for that. But here's Adam. He's got the tree of life right there. That's still in heaven today. And he goes and he eats of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and dies. Can we say here's a failure to lead? You see what happened? God had given him food. God had given him a base of operation. God had told him the simple instruction of what to do with the food and what to take care of. And he had one rule don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, Adam had free will. People say, well, man's got free will to choose God or not choose God, right? Well, and that's kind of a half truth. Man did have free will. In the Garden of Eden, Adam had free will. And he used his free will being created to lead, and he disgraced God. So free will was gone in the choice of Adam to sin. Now you have the free will to choose, well, I'm going to go do this today, or I'm going to go to work today, or I'm sick and I'm I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to recover... That's not what's at issue when it comes to free will. The issue of free will is whether or not you're going to choose to be in heaven or you're going to choose not to follow the Lord, see, and and become a child of God. Adam had the free will in him. And he chose to violate God's law and plunged all of mankind into spiritual death. There's your free will right there. So today, whenever it comes to people saying, well, you have the free will to choose or you have the free will to opt in. It was gone and Adam and all of mankind was ruined because of the failure of Adam to follow the role that God gave him. That's why we have to be elected. That's why we have to be chosen by God. That's why God looked down through time. Psalm 14, Psalm 53. That's why He looked down through time. Romans, the third chapter, where He says, I looked and I saw that everyone was just like Adam. They would follow the nature of their forefather. So God had to take the lead, if you will. He gave Adam one rule. I've got hundreds of rules in the books in my office thousands. You other attorneys here in the audience know what I'm talking about. Thousands of rules. And Adam's code of conduct, Adam's law had one rule in it. That was very simple, wasn't it? (laughs) Thou shalt not eat. And it was a positive. It said, thou mayest freely eat of all of the trees, but of the one tree thou shalt not eat. How simple was this to continue to fulfill his role to lead? So simple. Okay. God also made a declaration in the garden, Genesis 2 and 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Did you know that's one of the first negatives? That's one of the first two or couple times that the word not is used. Everything has been, it was good. The Morning of in the evening of the first day, it was good. God saw that it was good. It was good. Whenever Adam was created, male and female were created, he said it was very good. But there's one place here he says it's not good. It's interesting, isn't it? That tells me that in the character of God, you know, there's positives and there's negatives, you know, where he says, This is good, this is bad. That's very simple, isn't it? God said it's not good that the man should be alone. In his created role as a leader to lead it's not good that he should be alone. So that knocks out your John Wayne mentality right there, doesn't it? For those of you who understand who John Wayne was, (laughs) that knocks out that mentality. Well, I'm a self-made man. I can do it myself. In the Garden of Eden, God saw that it was better for man to have a companion. Now, this does not mean that everybody has to get married it doesn't mean that but it should not be missed that the lord in the original creation before there was sin he said it was not good that the man should be alone and i'll make him a help a companion an appropriate person that will correspond to his needs and and he will correspond to her needs you see so there was a declaration made it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him and help meet for him. So let's recap about what God has done for Adam, okay? God has provided food. God has given specific instruction on how to handle himself in leading and having dominion and subduing the earth. God, oh, I forgot to mention this. God also provided protection. Not that there was anything to protect from. But I believe that we can read from the book of Ezekiel that God placed the angel, the anointed cherub, in Eden for protection or for guidance there to oversee, to help Adam oversee the garden. Y'all know who that guy became, right? That's the fellow that became Satan. God created the perfect angel that chose to be prideful and become what is known as satan don't ever think well people say well god created satan right no he didn't create satan he created the perfect anointed cherub that was placed over the garden as like a security guard or overseer and that anointed cherub chose to become what is now today this very day our enemy satan he had protection as if he needed it he had one simple rule to follow he had one declaration made and Probably the greatest provision that was provided for him, guess what? Was the creation of woman. (laughs) I'd say that across the board. There is no doubt that the greatest thing that God did for Adam, he needs to eat. He needs to, you know, stay away from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He needs to make sure he stays in his lane on leading and subduing and having dominion and subduing and all of that. And then he gave him woman. Oh, I also forgot this he also provided a worship mechanism, right? Y'all remember the seventh day? What was the seventh day? It was the Sabbath. Everything is in place for Adam to do what he needs to do. He's got the Sabbath. He's got protection. He's got instruction. He's got food. He's got the companionship of woman. He's got everything. Now look at Genesis 2 and 18, where he says, I will make and help meet for him. This is a interesting Hebrew word or phrase that's been kicked around by a lot of commentators. And I'm going to be a commentator this morning and just tell you what I think after studying it and reading it and looking at it. Now, the word help meet is a Hebrew combination word, and I'm not trying to bowl you over with Hebrew words, but it's "azer konegdo." Okay, "azer" is the first part of the word, which basically means help, and "konegdo" is the second part of the word, which is the part that's been kicked around so much among commentators. Notice that the Lord said it's not good for him to be alone, but he needs a helpmate. He needs an azer konegdo. Most of the occurrence of the word azer in the Bible, you might think of the word, this is the one that comes to mind, Ebenezer, Ebenezer. Okay, most of the time aside from this, the word azer is used for help, as a savior, as as when God would come in and rescue. Okay, that's usually the signification of azer. And here in this one situation, it's used in reference to what God says man needs. (laughs) And some of you sisters and you honest brothers are sitting there thinking too, yeah, you're right, I I need all the help I can get. (laughs) And whether you realize you need all the help you can get, you do. (laughs) And God provided all the help you need. If you're married, you might be married one day, but God has provided, if you desire that, It's in the marriage relationship. God has provided all the help that anybody would ever need in marriage. That's what He created in woman. Now watch, don't forget this now. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 8, it says, for the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. The woman was taken out of man. God puts Adam to sleep and He does the first surgery and then He opens up His side and He takes a rib out. And unlike man who was created in the image of God in the sense of God outlined there what man was to look like. And he, you know, oh rough-edged man, you might say. He takes the rib of Adam and out of the rib he forms a woman. So 1 Corinthians 11 and 8 says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Now watch this. And this is where the feminists go off the rails. <laughs> Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And they look at Paul and they say, Whoa, what a, what a absolute chauvinist he is for saying that but that's missing the whole point god saw that it was appropriate man needed help man was he needed even in his innocency even in the situation he was in where there was no sin he said man needs help don't ever forget that work was created by god before there was sin and marriage was created by god before there was sin that's important to understand in the purity of the original creation before sin entered the world there's other things that could be named but work and marriage I mean hey is that not what life comes down to if you you know again you don't a person can be content not being married but if they desire to have companionship the greatest level of companionship that can be reached in this life is not two people living together but to live in the bounds of matrimony of marriage just as Adam and Eve did you see that That's what God intended. That's the highest relationship aside from the spiritual new birth where God makes a son or a daughter through the new birth. That's the highest relationship that you can find in this life. And it's just mocked and laughed at today. Okay, the word Azer, which is help. Some of the commentators say, well, that's too weak of a word to convey what is actually meant there. And of course, I think that's why it says help meet. Okay, it's not help mate, it's help meet. Okay, that word it, help in, in and of itself indicates like somebody who's an auxiliary or an addition or something. Whereas, you know, in other places it indicates like a military intervention where somebody comes in and rescues somebody, an army rescues another army. It, it does mean rescue. It does mean savior. But when you put it together with meet, whenever you put help and meet together, the part connecto, which is the second part, meet. It means to come alongside, to be the opposite of, and in some circumstances it can mean against. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it? Like God created somebody that would be against man? That's not, that's not the meaning whenever there was no sin. You get it? If you think about all of the conflicts that sometimes husbands and wives get into. You know, and they get against each other. That happens because we're in a fallen state, you know, that we we descend from Adam. But in the original state, it didn't mean to be against him, it meant to be his counterpart. One of the commentaries that I really enjoyed reading that I'll share a helper fit for him, a helper as his partner, a helper comparable to him, and helper as his counterpart. Another of the meanings means face to face. So, you can just picture whenever Adam woke up from his sleep after he'd had the rib removed. And he looks over there and he sees Eve. He sees woman. You know, it's not that she looked exactly like him because she did not. You know, she bore all the beautiful characteristics of woman, okay? And she did not look like man. But as he looks over there and he sees her, you know, she has come from him and he sees her. It's the first human face that he had ever looked upon. Do you understand that? And they're face-to-face. It's his counterpart. It's what God designed to help him to be the best that he could possibly be. And vice versa. For her to be the best that she could be, it's what God designed. Now, I know we're kind of easing over into the realm of husbands and wives and marriage and all that type of stuff. I understand that. But I think in order to understand what a godly man is, many of the young men and men today are married. And some of them may be married one day. And we need to understand what that counterpart is, you see, because God created man to lead and God gave a wife to Adam to help him in that endeavor. The commentator says that this word is often used for something that is face to face with something else. Now, when you put all of this together, it literally means I will make for him a helper as his opposite or as his other half. You get that? Now that makes sense when it comes to man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be what one two halves of the same person. So I I can't fully die you know I can't fully figure that out. Well join the club because Ephesians says that it's a mystery. It's a mystery how two can become one and yet they're half of each other. Maybe those of you that are married. When you're apart from one another, you can understand that because you feel like half of yourself whenever you're not together. Or on the very sad and tragic end of it, maybe one who has been widowed or is a widower understands like they've had half of themselves cut out after years and years of marriage or, or a short time and being taken away. You see? Like his other half. Like him, but with different attributes, different physical attributes, different emotional attributes. Eve was not designed to be exactly like Adam. She was designed to be sort of his mirror opposite, possessing the other half of qualities, responsibilities, and attributes, which he lacked. And in our fallen world, you can certainly, and ladies, you can amen. I don't care. You know, yeah, he really lacks them. That's for sure. You know, we, we we need help. We're men. We need help. I need all the help I can get. And whenever I start denying that I need help, whenever I start denying that I need support, and I think I'm an island unto myself, that's whenever I start to come apart. You get that? It's all because of what God created man to be. He created him to lead. Now, we look at Genesis the third chapter. Trouble in paradise. Adam's failure to be what he was created to be. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now the first question that comes to mind is, Where is Adam? Where is the old sap? (laughs) And why is he allowing this conversation to take place with a third party who maybe talks nice I, you know y'all forgive me but as i've said many times before you know the serpent was not there going yea have god said thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden it wasn't like that <laughs> he was the, the original silver tongue devil he was smooth he was like a philadelphia lawyer <laughs> he was smooth and he had the jury going and just eating out of his hand he didn't talk like some demon and so he has this conversation with Eve. Where's Adam? Where is he? He's failing to lead. What's going on in this man's mind? His wife is over there talking with this silver-tongued devil. Maybe he doesn't fully understand the context of what's going on, but he does hear the conversation, I believe. And, and the conversation is questioning God. You see that? He's, the, the serpent is questioning God. And then he lies. He flat out lies. The serpent says, you shall not surely die. (laughs) You shall not surely die. But God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat it and gave also unto her husband with her. Notice it says with her. Did you catch that right there? You say, well, somebody might say, well, he was probably off doing something else in the garden. He was with her. He was right there. So can you just imagine the the conceit and the arrogance, the pride of this man standing there and watching the woman who it says in the previous chapter where he says, this is now bone of my bones. This is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I heard one preacher say the reason she's called woman is because he looked at her and he said, whoa, man. (laughs) I get that because sometimes I've looked at my wife and go, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave like glue unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. What has happened between that that? glorious statement of the first marriage where he looks upon her and he beholds her and he is overwhelmed by her and he thinks how glorious she is and what a companion she is and what a helpmeet she is and how she is the answer to everything that he would possibly need because God has provided it and now he's standing back and he's watching her as she converses with this serpent and then she takes the fruit from the very tree that God said do not touch of that fruit and he, she, he watches as she takes it and she takes a bite of it can you think that he might be sitting there thinking, oh, well, I thought she was supposed to die. <laughs> and she didn't fall over dead. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Well, if she didn't die, well, then maybe we both can eat it. You say, maybe God was lying. And here comes sin. You see, here comes Adam's failure to lead. She takes the fruit, smiles and hands it to him, and he tries it. How horrible is that? You say, can something that little and that small be really be that bad? Yes! It's why we're in the mess that we're in today. It's because he broke the one law that God gave him. And day after day, the Adam multiplied. The descendants of Adam continue to break the laws of God because they come from Adam. And that's what the innocent man did. He was the best of the best. Don't think that you'd have done any better. You would not have. He was the best of all of mankind. He was the federal head, the the main representative of all mankind as our president. Whether you voted for him or not or whether you agree with the president or not, he is the federal head of the United States of America. He is the prime citizen of the United States of America. Whether you voted for him or not, wherever he goes, he represents or is supposed to represent the interests of the United States of America. In a much greater way, Adam is the federal head he is the prime citizen of all of mankind. And look at what he did. He fell into sin. He failed to lead. He failed to take care of what God had given him. He didn't take care of the food. He didn't take care of, of, of subduing and taking dominion. He didn't take care of the garden. He didn't take care of his wife. He stepped away. He paused. I wonder what will happen if she eats it. The one commentator said, Thus easy, thus happy, was man in a state of innocency, having all that heart could wish to make him so. How good was God to him! How many favors did God load with him! How easy were the laws He gave him! How kind the covenant He made with him! Yet man, being in honor in those days, understood not his own interest, but soon became as the beasts that perish. Isn't that amazing? God created Adam to lead. And he made it so easy for Adam to lead. He equipped him with everything that he could possibly need to lead. And Adam, the prime citizen, the federal head, the first man, he failed. He forsook it. He failed to provide. He failed to preserve, he failed to protect. Oh, men and sisters, can we be instructed from this? One of the most important decisions that a person will ever make in their life is who to marry. And marriages fall apart because men and women don't understand what God expects out of their roles. And the woman was a partner with the man to assist him, guide him, support him, help him. Lord knows he needs it. (laughs) To help him and guide him. Together they walk through Eden. There's an old Statler Brothers song. Sister Paige, not the Bellamy Brothers. But there's an old Statler Brothers song from the Holy Bible that talked about it's believed that if Adam had not sinned, he'd be alive today. He would be. But because he sinned, he died. He didn't die just right away. But 900 plus years later, he finally took his last breath He finally let that last breath go that God had initiated in that first man. Oh, the regret. Oh, the trouble. Oh, the sadness. 930 years later, as he laid down his head on his dying pillow for the last time, quite a bit different than the day that he woke up from sleep where God had put him to sleep, and he looked and he beheld woman. Woman. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. He was so happy. He was, everything was so glorious. Everything was so right in the world at that time. And just a few short days later, he failed. Now listen, I think there's a lot that we can identify with when it comes to Adam. Because whether you're man, woman, child, whatever you are, life is filled with failures because of sin. Right? I mean, you say, I'm not, I'm not ever going to sin again. Well, tell me how that works out. It just doesn't work. But God had a, had a covenant of grace in place that even though the man failed to lead, even though he watched as his wife did what she did and didn't intervene and didn't protect and didn't help, even though God in His mercy, in, as C.S. Lewis would call it, the deep magic from before the foundation of the world, the Lord in His mercy had a purpose in place to where He would save a ruined race. He would save the children of God that belonged to Him and take them to glory one day. And I just cannot help but think that as Adam woke up from his sleep and he beheld the first wife, I cannot help but think and know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the best man in that wedding, as He stood there and He looked at the joy of Adam and the joy of Eve and rejoiced with them, I cannot help but think that in His eternal, perfect mind, He was looking to a time when He would take His wife. He would take His bride. And all her imperfections and all of her failures would be washed away by the blood of His cross one day. And He would purify her. And one day, He'll marry her in heaven. That's the first great event that's going to occur in eternity after the return of the Lord. It's a wedding supper. Can you picture that? I've stood and presided over many wonderful weddings. And I've cried... (laughs) Mainly because I think back to mine, and I think what a glorious experience that was. And then I've watched the couple as they behold one another, especially when they turn to each other. I've rarely had to say, now, no, young man, turn and face your bride. Or young lady, boy, they're just locked eyes on each other. <laughs> And I behold that as somewhat of a best man or as the friend of the bridegroom, you might say. And I rejoice in that. And I cannot imagine how Jesus Christ rejoiced in the joy of the first man and the first woman, the first husband and the first wife as they beheld one another in that great wedding feast there in the innocent Garden of Eden. (laughs) And one day, the Son of God will rejoice eternally when He takes... You, his bride, his people, home to be with him, forever washed in the blood of the Lamb, forever perfected through the work of the man who did not fail to lead. Are you with me? There's a man we're going to talk about, Lord willing, in the days ahead. He's called the man Christ Jesus. He was not created, he's eternal, but he did not fail to lead. What a great example for us to look to. As the Son of God accomplished what His Father sent Him to do in purchasing His wife, His bride, His people forever. (laughs) And He demonstrated for us on the banks of the River Jordan. He went down into the river and even the Son of God was baptized. (laughs) It's a real short walk to come down and say, I have no other hope than the Lord Jesus Christ, the man who led and leads me into eternity. (laughs) The Lord himself went into the waters of baptism. What doth hinder you from being baptized? We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.